0: This past week, the Illinois legislature gave final passage to a criminal justice reform bill that does many things, including institute several reforms of police policies and procedures. But one of the cornerstones of the package is the Pretrial Fairness Act. It will overhaul the system that governs proceedings for people awaiting trial, and it would end cash bond. That's a change some people have been fighting for and fighting over for years. This weekend, we'll take a closer look. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. The issue of setting bail, that's money held or pledged to ensure people show up for their trials, has been a subject of contention and controversy, and groups have been fighting to end it for years. Reforms like that are among the issues Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle ran on, in fact, and so did current state's attorney Kim Fox, who won twice. My guest this weekend founded and leads an organization that's been helping lead that battle. Charlene Grace is the executive director of the Chicago Community Bond Fund. She's a lawyer with Midwestern Roots. She came to Chicago from Missouri in 2004 and has been part of grassroots social movements in Chicago ever since. The CCBF is part of the Coalition to End Money Bond. That coalition is probably not out of business just yet, but soon, who knows? Anyway, we're practicing social distancing for this conversation, and Charlene Grace joins me via Zoom. Charlene, welcome back.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Craig.
0: Um, The uh, concept of bond is a simple one to lay the groundwork. Someone's accused of a crime and waiting for his or her case to come up. You don't want to keep that person in jail during that time. You can make them pay enough money so that they come back for the trial instead of losing the cash, if in fact cash is going to be involved. And that's how it's been for decades and decades. A popular media has even romanticized the people who go after those who don't show up for their trial, you know, the bounty hunters. So, so Charlene Grace, what is the problem?
1: Sure. So, um, Most commonly, when we talk about bail, people think about money bail. The reality is that um, requiring someone to pay money is just one of many different conditions that the court can order in the pretrial decision-making process. And the concept that people are innocent until proven guilty is supposed to be a bedrock of U.S. criminal law. And yet money bail has undermined that for decades because... What it is, is a release decision. So when a judge says, if you, or more realistically, someone who cares about you, a family member, uh, another loved one puts up this money, um, then you can be released. But for many, many people across Illinois, when a money bond is ordered, that isn't what happens. In fact, what happens is that that person is unable to pay that amount of money and they sit in jail for weeks, for months, in some cases, for years. And all of that happens without an acknowledgement of this grave loss of freedom that's supposed to be really hard for the courts to do, right? It's supposed to, be very, it's supposed to meet a very high standard before the government can take away our freedom when we haven't been convicted of anything. And money bail for decades has subverted that standard and flipped it on its head.
0: Yeah, in some ways, it seems it's setting a value on things. But but let's face it, one of the biggest public concerns about bail and perhaps in support of cash bail has been about people facing charges of violent crimes. Uh, Judges traditionally use high bonds to keep them behind bars or from fleeing jurisdiction. Uh, I think we in the news business hear million dollar bonds tossed around in some cases. So how do you deal with the the public safety issue? Uh, Because some people think, well, I'll just set a high bond and dangerous people will have to stay behind bars.
1: Sure. So I think the first thing I want to do is sort of challenge us to think about decoupling um, jail and incarceration from safety, right? Because what we know over the last 50 years in the United States is that if Criminalization, if incarceration made us safer, we would be the safest country in the world. Instead, compared to other wealthy nations, we suffer from some of the highest rates of interpersonal and community violence. And we have more people incarcerated while awaiting trial in the United States than most other countries have incarcerated at all. So I think that's the first thing is that we need to not keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. We need to look at the things that generate real safety, including resources for people, right? Including lessening the um, violence that people experience as they're growing up. Many people who are later arrested for serious allegations of harm to someone else have first experienced that harm themselves. We have generational challenges. We need to focus on preventing harm, not merely um, prosecuting individuals after something has already happened. But to go back to your original question, Craig, for this bill, for the Pretrial Fairness Act and the movement to end money bond, we should be very clear that money has no relationship to safety at all. So those high bonds, all that those do is they allow someone with wealth to be free while someone without wealth is in the jail. And one of the things about our very unequal society is that that has the effect of increasing racial disparities. It increases the disparate impact that black communities in particular feel um, from prosecution and from money bail specifically because different communities have had different opportunities to develop wealth and access to money in this country. And so money bail disproportionately benefits white people who are accused of crimes, and it disproportionately harms and leads to the incarceration of Black and Latinx people. And people who are concerned about safety should not be comforted when someone is given a money bail. What they should want is the system that the Pretrial Fairness Act creates, and that's one that isn't so arbitrary as to rely on how much money someone has, but is going to make a transparent, reviewable release or detention decision that's really focused on safety, that justifies that decision, and that takes place in a robust, individualized hearing where there's evidence and there's argument. And a judge is really focused on the issues that those skeptics want them to be right. Right now, we have a system in which bond hearings are minutes long. And that's not a system that realistically addresses their concerns either.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I should point out that uh, Cook County Chief Judge Timothy Evans signed an order, I guess it's now, is it a few years ago? Or is it just a couple years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it included a kind of measure uh, of whether a person is a threat to the public or not. And you and I have talked about this before. That is in effect in Cook County now. How has that worked out where you do have judges who are supposed to be using a measure exactly like that? They didn't eliminate cash bond, but basically discouraging it. How effective has that been?
1: Sure. So that's a great question, Craig. And it's it's one of the things that is, so confusing about the fact that we need a nationwide movement to end money bail because in Illinois, before Chief Judge Evans signed General Order 188A, it was already the law that money bail was supposed to be the language is considerate of the financial resources of the accused and the amount not oppressive and. This goes back to how we originally opened this conversation that money bills is designed to be a mechanism for release. The idea is that someone is given an amount they actually pay and they're actually released. And that's why in recent years, courts across the country have found it unconstitutional that people are jailed solely because they can't pay a certain amount of money. It's such an arbitrary way for someone to lose their freedom. And so general order 18.8a which was the the local court rule that Chief Judge Evans issued in 2017, was really an administrative process to try to instruct judges to follow existing state law and follow the U.S. and the Illinois constitutions. Um, And it was in response to a civil rights lawsuit that raised concerns about the wealth-based pretrial situation, pretrial system in Cook County. And so, That order was effective in many ways in that it dramatically decreased the use of money bond. Judges issued money bonds half as frequently as they did before. And when they did issue money bonds, they were in lower amounts and people were more likely to pay them and actually secure release. But as you said, it didn't eliminate money bond. And the process of deciding what bond amount or bail amount is actually affordable is a very difficult one. And... Many people, over a thousand people right now, are still in Cook County jail solely because they can't afford to pay a money bond. And that's more than three years after that order went into effect. So what we know is that reforms that focus on affordability, at least in Illinois, are inadequate. And given that paying a money bond has no impact on whether or not someone comes back to court, no positive impact, Um, there are many detriments to continuing to use money bond, even if the amounts are supposedly affordable and there are no benefits. And so it's really an indefensible system. And we are excited that Illinois is now the first state to completely eliminate money bail.
0: Well, I want to uh, talk about one more uh, potential uh, speed bump in in this. And that's, we're talking about a state and I mean, do judges around the state or are judges around the state able to use all the scales and measures the same way? Uh, My impression is that the enforcement of the same laws is different depending upon where you where you go. And uh, I know you're from Missouri, which was closer to southern Illinois, which uh, has had its own kind of justice.
1: No, it's true. And not only am I from Missouri, I'm from rural Missouri. So I grew up in an environment very similar to much of central and downstate Illinois. Um, And the reality is that criminal law is state law. Um, The judges in criminal courtrooms are state of Illinois judges. And we need to have uniformity in the decisions that are being made. for equal justice so that people are not arbitrarily experiencing different consequences on across county lines. Um, And it is true that there are huge differences in policy and in practice across counties. So we have 102 counties in Illinois, that's 102 states attorneys, that's 102 sheriffs, that's 102 um, chief judges. So we have many different systems that are operating differently, but what we should be striving for and what we will move closer towards with the Pretrial Fairness Act is a more uniform and fair system.
0: Uh, Let me touch on the uh, fear factor one more time before we uh, go, because in some ways it's a fear from the bench as opposed to uh, from the public. And that is uh, you know there are judges who are reluctant to be the ones who let that that guy and it's usually a guy go who then goes out and murders somebody and how do you deal with that because now judges are going to have two choices right more or less either keep him in jail or you let him go uh i mean obviously there's electronic monitoring but there's a that's a whole nother issue there um but you know stay or go judges are some judges aren't going to want to be the one who is noted as the one who let that person go what do you how do you deal with that fact
1: yeah it you know it's very challenging because we have spent decades um, developing a narrative around crime um, and around people accused of crime in this country that, um, that makes us disproportionately afraid, right? So crime rates, and especially violent crime rates, have gone down in cities across the country broadly. Obviously, we've seen a reversal of that in 2020 with the pandemic, with the recession, and the lack of support that people received last year and, and continuing, but broadly, the broad trends are a decrease in crime. And over that same time, media coverage of crime has actually increased. So people are more afraid, people perceive that there is more crime when in fact there is less. Um, as a microcosm in put County, since the number of people in jail is nearly half what it was um, or less than half at the moment, um, what it was in you know, 2013, Before 2020, we've broadly seen crime, again, decline during that same time while we're incarcerating way fewer people. Um, And the reality is that judges are paid to make decisions and we need to work together to build different narratives. The way that media coverage works is that one person that gets out and is accused of something serious, of harming someone else, something we all want to avoid, that there will be 30 news stories about that person. And there won't be any news stories about the 30,000 people who are released, who go to all their court dates. And not only do they comply with what the court wants, but they're able to keep working, they're able to keep paying their rent and keeping their family house, they're able to keep taking their children to school, they're able to keep moving forward with their lives and, and surviving and thriving, ideally, and that makes us all safer. But we don't focus on those stories, and we don't tell those stories. And I think to go back to just real quickly, the sort of decision making of it, that argument, the idea that judges are going to lose a tool in their toolbox, well, that tool is not one that we should want. We don't want judges to obscure the decisions they're making. Um, to say, well, I, I ordered this man's grandma to pay $500. So I did my part, right? What we want is for the judge to say, I'm, I'm detaining this person. I've justified it in the law. I've met this high bar. Um, and everyone knows that's what I'm doing. And, and um, the person who's accused will have the right to appeal that and challenge that and it will work its way out. Um, or to say, I'm releasing this person. And here are the conditions, whether that is no conditions as many people should get, um, or whether that's something like a no contact order or GPS or electronic monitor. there are many other tools that judges are already using. And money bail is never been an appropriate one. And it's not one that the judiciary needs to retain.
0: You're listening to News Radio 780s at Issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and we're talking about ending cash bond in the state of Illinois. My guest is Charlene Gray. She is the executive director of the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Uh, we've been looking at this up to this point mostly from the perspective of the court down. Let's let's talk a little bit about about some of those stories that you were saying don't get told as often, um, because in some ways money bond has been. If we're talking about danger to the public, it's been a danger to defendants and their families in and their communities in some ways, I would think, if you're talking about, as you started to uh, to allude to, the person's ability to uh, to make a living or just the pure freedom. How much of an effect does it have if a suspect is not allowed to go free on bond?
1: Yes, that is something we have really tried to focus the conversation on as part of this campaign over the last five years is to look at the negative consequences of jailing people um, and how it impacts individuals, how it impacts their families, and how that ripples out and impacts all of us who live together. And people do lose their jobs. They do lose their housing when they're jailed. And that happens within days, right? How many days does a person have to not call and not show up to work? Not very many, right, before that job is gone. So one of the things that Pretrial Fairness Act does is try to ensure that people who are going to be released are released as fast as possible. Um, whether that's being released from law enforcement custody, without being held over at night or for multiple days and sent before a judge, which is actually something that already happens in Chicago. The overwhelming majority of people who are arrested and accused of misdemeanors are released from police custody without going to bond court. Um, And so we're just expanding that power to again, make sure that people who will be released are not spending an unnecessary 24 or 48 hours in custody before that decision happens. Um, And To go back to the harms for people who do end up in the jail, whether that's through an unaffordable money bond or it's through a no bond, a detention order, however they end up there, one of the things that the COVID-19 pandemic has made clear for many more people is the stakes. It's the reality that jails are not safe places. They never have been. Um, there are places where COVID-19 and other diseases spread because of the close quarters that people live in, the unsanitary conditions, the lack of control, like the ability to clean one's own space, access to soap, these kinds of things that we take for granted when we are in our homes, those are not basic aspects of being in jail. And we have seen jails responsible for, uh, nine deaths. Cook County Jail, nine people have died from COVID-19 while they were in the custody of the jail. Um, Dozens, many more people. I actually can't keep up with the exact number because the data is inadequate coming out of the Illinois Department of Corrections, but many more people have been sick and have died while in Illinois prisons from COVID-19. One thing that it's important for people to understand is that jail and prison, but particularly jail, is deadly even when we're not in a pandemic. So um, also this year, multiple people have lost their lives to suicide and to overdose in jails in Illinois. So those are very common, um, very common reasons why people lose their lives in jail. And that usually happens in the first three days, in the first week. And so the consequences are very severe um, they can be very severe. And what we know is that when people are in jail, it destabilizes their lives. If they have something positive going on, like a job, or if they're in a treatment program, or if they're going to school or a vocational program, that that will be disrupted by incarceration. And so we see that in that people who are jailed are less likely to be employed one year later. Um, They're less likely to make all their court dates because of that destabilization. They are more likely to be rearrested in the future. So the very things that people are concerned about, those sort of compliance with court rules and public safety, not being involved with the criminal justice system in the future, those things are made worse by jailing people. Um, And that is a complicated reality that we need to wrestle with instead of just pretending that's not the case.
0: And now this question, uh, I, it, it might have, you might not have any way to answer this, but I, I want to know if you hear, I was just curious, does incarceration before and during a trial affect the cases themselves? In other words, does it make it harder for people? What happens to people who have to defend themselves that way?
1: Yes. Great question, Craig. Thank you. And so what studies have shown over and over again is that people who are in jail while awaiting trial have worse outcomes than people who are free. People who are free who have comparable situations or comparable cases. So people who are in jail are more likely to be convicted. Um, They're more likely to be sentenced to a sentence of incarceration, whether that's jail or prison, and then they receive longer sentences. So keeping people in jail creates convictions, it creates criminal records that then serve in many cases as lifelong barriers to housing, to jobs, to other opportunities, Um, and it sends people further into the criminal justice system. It makes people more likely to go to prison and to go to prison longer. And since we've already talked about the fact that Black people in particular, but also Latinx people, and in some other places, other communities, Native American communities also, are less likely to be able to pay those bonds, pay, to pay money bonds in particular, and then to end up in jail. Again, it's targeting and hurting in these really particular ways, communities that are already most suffering from criminalization and mass incarceration.
0: Uh, I also want to uh, look at the process that we go through from here, because you know it's one thing to say, okay, Cash bond gone. It's not like waving a magic wand. Exactly how do you take those one hundred two different court systems uh, statewide and eliminate cash bond? What's going to happen in the next, in the coming months? Or I, you, you know this, and I, and I don't. How long is this supposed to take?
1: So there is a delayed effective date on the abolition of money bond that will not take effect until January of 2023. And that was a request of the Illinois courts and the Supreme Courts Commission on Pretrial Practices, because they know there is a lot of work to do to prepare the court system for this massive change. And there will be working groups formed, there will be Um, policies written. There should be training of court system actors. Um, It can be done. It has been done. This this transition away from secured money bail was made in Washington, D.C. decades ago. Um, It's been made more recently in New Jersey, and it can be done. And there are other reforms in the bill related to pretrial justice that will take effect sooner. Um, and that will also help people because one thing about that delayed effective date is that we know people are suffering from money bond right now. Um, and that each person who's in jail simply because they can't afford it is having their, not only their constitutional rights violated, but their human dignity. And so we do want to continue to maintain a sense of urgency about, um, people who are in jail now or who will have bond hearings between now and 2023, but we are grateful that there is going to be a working group and a commitment to ensuring that this is done right and that it's done well.
0: Is that working group going to come up with something, um, because it's the only example I have, uh, like what Chief Judge Evans uh, came up with and the academics who work behind that of a, of a scale of a questionnaire, is that what they're going to be doing as well?
1: You mean like a risk assessment tool? Yes. Um, I believe there will be a lot of conversation among the courts about risk assessment tools over the next two years. So um, risk assessment tools were already authorized under Illinois law before our bill. Our bill um, doesn't eliminate them. Um, It does clarify some aspects of their use. Um, As you know, there is a lot of concern from community members and advocates and activists about risk assessment tools, because they all rely on data of past interaction with police and court systems. And that data is absolutely racist. There's really no other way to put it. It's, it is racially biased. And if we um, run that through a matrix or an algorithm, and then, and then we pretend it becomes objective as opposed to just a reflection of the way that we treat different people differently in the society. Then we are only codifying and magnifying and sort of hiding that reality of those racial disparities and that disadvantage. So, advocates have many concerns and want to ensure that risk assessment tools are used in a limited and appropriate way. If they are used at all, many of us would prefer they're not used at all. The court system, many system actors have the exact opposite opinion. So I think that's gonna be an ongoing conversation about what their role is in this new system where judges aren't relying on money. And I will say, I mean, judges are making decisions about risk now. Um, And one of the arguments for risk assessment tools from their proponents is that it's easier to correct the racism of an algorithm or a matrix than it is hundreds of individuals. um, Since we all carry bias of different kinds and so many judges are um, white, our former prosecutors are wealthy and don't come from the communities or share the experiences of the people who are before them and upon whom they're making judgments.
0: That is Charlene Grace, Executive Director of the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Thank you for spending this time with me. Thank you. Uh, uh, To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM.